Well, good evening once again. We're going to be in uh, the book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9 is the uh, scripture text that we're going to be talking about today. We'll have the scriptures up on the screen behind me, or you can follow along in a Bible or on your phone if you have one. But the year was uh, 1938, and the citizens of England were scared. World War One, the, the, the war that's been called the war to end all wars, had ended just 20 years prior to that, and the death toll of that war had been extremely significant. The, the estimates that Great Britain lost as many as a million people in World War One. The people were scared because they were now on the brink of war again, just 20 years removed from the peace that they thought would be permanent. Hitler had stated his intentions to invade Czechoslovakia on October 1st, and Europe was being in danger of being dragged into the conflict. In fact, the, the citizens of London were so concerned that they were starting to check the air raid sirens, they were handing out gas masks to their citizens, they were digging trenches in parks to... Uh, in case they were bombed, uh, the citizens of London were bottlenecked as they were trying to get out of the city and into the country. As, this, as these desperate preparations are going on, as people are afraid for their lives and trying to flee the cities, a hero, a sort of hero, emerged. The hero who emerged was the Prime Minister Neville, Chamber Neville Chamberlain. And uh, Chamberlain had arranged for a meeting with Hitler, and not only had he been able to arrange for a meeting with Hitler, but he had actually been able to secure a, a peace treaty, a peace agreement that was going to avert the war that everyone was so afraid of. So, just on the brink of Europe being dragged into this war, Neville Chamberlain came home with this, this treaty, and he comes home to much fanfare. I mean, people are, are cheering for him when he steps, he steps off the airplane. They're cheering him on in the streets. And Chamberlain makes this triumphant declaration towards the end of a speech that he delivered. He said this, My good friends... For the second time in our history, a British Prime Minister has returned from Germany bringing peace with honor. I believe it is peace for our time. Go home and get a nice, quiet sleep. What Chamberlain didn't know was that Hitler had already begun assembling his army to march on Czechoslovakia in those very moments. And not even a year's time from that triumphant declaration from Neville Chamberlain, Europe, uh, Great Britain declared war on Germany. Centuries before that, there was another proclamation of peace that was announced. And it was announced to a group of shepherds who were bedding down for the night on a Judean hillside. The angel of the Lord appears to these shepherds out of the darkness on that night with this angelic choir behind him. And this is what they announce to these shepherds, Luke chapter 2 and verse 14. They announce, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those 
those with whom he is pleased. This proclamation that these angels make was the fulfillment of a promise that had been made even more centuries before that by a prophet named Isaiah. Isaiah's nation, like Britain, was on the brink of war, and the people were afraid, the leaders were afraid. And into that dark moment, into the nation's history, amidst all fear, amidst all the unrest and the the, 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 the coming of the war, into that dark moment, Isaiah had a word from the Lord. He prophesied a word of hope for a future day. And he speaks of that word of hope in language that, 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 that is almost as if it has already happened. He says this in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, he, For to us, a child is born... For to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's promising that there is a child who is going to one day be born, and this child is going to be a king, and he's described by four titles that you've seen in the screen behind me, and if you've been with us for any time during the month of December, we have been taking each successive Sunday to savor each one of these four titles that describe this child who would be king. We've been taking the time to reflect and meditate on the implications of each one of those. And this evening, as we gather here together, we want to focus on the last one, which is the title Prince of Peace. The New Testament makes it clear that Jesus was the Messiah King that Isaiah had promised. Matthew, in Matthew chapter 4, uses language to announce it that's taken straight from this prophecy in Isaiah. He's the King who's going to lead his people to peace. And what Isaiah was doing was promising that a divine king would one day come and usher in what Neville Chamberlain only thought he was announcing, peace in our time. But here's the thing. If we don't understand Jesus, if we don't understand Jesus' intentions when he, at his first advent, at his first coming, if we don't understand what exactly Jesus came to do, then that announcement from the angels on that dark Judean hillside can, can feel as empty as Chamberlain's announcement of peace in their time. After all, Neville Chamberlain assured that everyone that they could go home and have a nice, quiet sleep. And we sing songs like Silent Night. In fact, we're going to sing Silent Night at, a, at our candle lighting in, in just a few minutes. And Silent Night has a chorus that talks about sleeping and heavenly peace. But, but Jesus and Mary and Joseph were doing anything but sleeping in heavenly peace. I mean, you think about Mary having to, to travel to, be, to, to pay a tax. So they've got to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And if you could just fly straight from Nazareth to Bethlehem, it's only 70 miles. But if, if planes haven't been invented yet, 
And cars haven't been invented yet. That is a long journey to undertake, whether you're walking it or whether you're riding on a donkey. And it's complicated even more if you are nine months pregnant. Okay, you, you would think twice if you're pregnant about flying from here to Atlanta, much less undertaking a journey like this. I mean, most people guess that it took them at a, mi- a minimum of four days to make this journey and, and likely could have taken even an entire week. And then they find themselves there in Bethlehem, sheltering, in the words of Stuart Townend in his song, sheltering in the squalor of a borrowed stable. And then the upbringing of Jesus is anything but peaceful. He and his family are refugees to the nation of Egypt because Herod has ordered the massacre of the innocents. Okay, so Jesus is doing anything but sleeping in heavenly peace. And 2,000 years later... We're doing anything but going home and having ourselves a nice, quiet little sleep. Our world is no more a reflection of heavenly peace than it was the day Jesus entered it. The last century was one of the bloodiest centuries in human history. And we're certainly seeing if we can take the record in this one. But let me personalize it. Every single person in this room, despite all the festivities and our excitement about a shiny new thing, it's not every year you get a new building for Christmas. We're not topping that next year. Every person who has entered here, we've got festivities, we've got things to look forward to, meals to be eaten, presents to be unwrapped, all kinds of things to do. You've walked in here with burdens. And the people around you may know about those burdens or they may not know about these burdens, but, but many of us have walked in, all of us have walked in with burdens of one kind or another and struggle in the midst of those burdens to find peace. We are not a people at peace as we are plagued by our own emotional, psychological, and mental problems myself included. We are a people who are not at peace as we struggle with our own sin, we struggle with our shame, our guilt, and our regret. We are a a people who are not at peace as we fear for the safety and prosperity of our children as they grow up. We fear for our own well-being as we age and wonder if we have the resources to care for ourselves or if there will be anyone to care for us. We are not experience ongoing conflict in our own country that feels like it's being pulled apart at the seams and we're certainly not experiencing peace on the world stage. Flip on the news any moment of any day to find out how many nations at war and how many innocent people are dying. So, for some of us, this little talk I'm giving about the Prince of Peace might feel like Chamberlain telling you to go home and have a nice, quiet little sleep. But here is where we desperately need the perspective of the Prince of Peace who is promised, Jesus. 
And I want to tell you this evening that Jesus is not a Chamberlain-like figure futilely waving a peace agreement that is not worth the paper it's written on. The Prince of Peace would one day grow up and say this, in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. Some of you are like, that's in the Bible? I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. So we've got the the angels doing this spectacular announcement saying, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And we've got Jesus saying, hey, don't think I came to bring peace. I actually came to bring a sword. And we wonder, did the angels have a miscommunication with Jesus about what exactly was supposed to be happening here? Well, of course not. The angels were announcing something that was true. But they were announcing something that was not going to be fully realized at Jesus Christ's first advent, his first coming, the thing that we're celebrating in our service tonight and all through this month of December. The mission of the first advent was not to bring about the complete conditions of peace on earth. Now, the seeds are planted, the ethics are taught. And, and we're to be a, a people of peace as we are members of God's people in, in churches which are like kingdom outposts which declare the goodness of the kingdom of God. But Jesus did not come in his first advent to create the perfect conditions of peace on earth. He did come to bring peace between earth and heaven. He came to reconcile humanity during what the Bible calls, in Colossians chapter 1, making peace through the blood of his cross. This is the first and primary mission right now of the Prince of Peace. You see, the Bible teaches us that every one of us, without exception, that we're certainly not as all, all as bad as we could be, are, are sinners who stand before God condemned for our sin. But in spite of the fact that we are sinners, in spite of the fact that we have fallen short of the glory of God, God has taken it upon Himself through His divine sovereign grace to show mercy to us through His Son, Jesus. He has gone to such lengths to show mercy to sinners who are, who are at odds with him and are not reconciled to him that he gives his son to die a cruel death on the cross. Have you been reconciled with heaven? Have you put your faith, your trust, your belief, your hope in the death and burial and resurrection of Christ? If this is news to you, then I want you to understand this morning, we want you to understand this morning, or this evening. I usually preach in the morning. You need to do a find and replace in my my vocab. We want you to understand this evening that where you are sitting right now, you could walk into this service and you could walk out. But when Jesus said that he did not come to bring peace but a sword, 
I think he was explaining that when a person becomes reconciled with heaven, that often puts us at odds with earth. This world system, the Bible teaches us, is aligned against God and against His purposes. And it has a nice sheen to it, and it can have a nice look to it, but when you start digging and you don't have to dig far, you soon find out that this world system has a lust for power and money and greed and hate and injustice and war. It chews people up and spits them out. It's aligned against heaven, which is why people who become reconciled with God often find themselves at odds with earth. One day, the Prince of Peace is going to create perfect conditions of peace on earth, where there is no more death or sadness or war or mourning or injustice or any of the things that pain us and trouble us now. We aren't always able to go home and have a nice little sleep. Because we live in the world that is. Not the world that will be. So you say, wow, thanks for that Christmas Eve service. <laughs> Taking my peace away from me. But the Prince of Peace has something to say to us. And I, I tell you what I've just told you about when sometimes we have peace reconciled with, with heaven, it, makes us, it puts us at odds with earth. So I think sometimes the Christmas season, we can fall prey to sentimentality. And sentimentality can lead us to being jaded because we do all this talk about peace and earth and not doing justice to the fact that there ain't a lot of peace here. So are we just supposed to pretend? The Prince of Peace has something else to say to us in John chapter 14 and verse 27. These are welcome words. The Prince of Peace says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let, not, let your hearts not be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You think, about, you think about the burdens you walked in with, and then you hear the word of Christ speaking you, to you this, this evening. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What Jesus is talking about right here is the kind of peace that you can possess in the world that is. And this is a peace that is not like the peace that's promised by prime ministers. You see, the peace that this world can offer you is a peace that is dependent upon the right conditions. And so we go through periods of our lives where the conditions are great. But the conditions always fall out from the bottom of us. And we always find ourselves moving outside of those perfect conditions that wish we could enjoy all the time. And then we get older and we realize, man, there's a lot of un imperfect conditions here. 
The world says that you need the right conditions for peace, but the, the Prince of Peace has something to offer you tonight that you can have in the world that is, and it, it requires us understanding what true peace is. The thing that I want to communicate to you tonight that I hope gives you hope with the burdens that you are carrying, that you walked into here with, is this. Peace is the presence of Jesus. And we'd like for the conditions to be right. But Jesus offers a peace through his presence in conditions that don't change. Now Jesus had been with his disciples for several years at this point when he, when he spoke these words to them. And they had seen him do a lot of wonderful things. They had seen him raise the dead and they had seen him heal people and open the eyes of the blind and all the kinds of things that you can imagine. And we sometimes think, man, that must have been one great trip the whole time. But don't forget, they found themselves in a lot of danger. There are people constantly threatening their lives, taking up stones to kill Jesus. They find themselves in boats, in storms, worrying. They, they find themselves in all sorts of difficult situations. What enabled them to go through all those situations? They were with Jesus the whole time. And when Jesus announces to them that he's now going to be returning to the Father, they're concerned because things are changing. I don't, I don't have Jesus with me anymore. Yet in this passage, he was promising his ongoing presence to them through his Spirit. He was telling them that they could have peace in the world that is while they waited for the world that will be. Because they would have the continuing, ongoing presence of the Spirit of Christ them, no matter what, no matter where. And you know what? So can you. The Bible says this, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, the Bible says, do not be anxious about anything. Well, <laughs> failed that one. It's a good thing our salvation doesn't depend on our ability to do this stuff. But the Bible says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Okay, so what the Bible is saying, when you feel anxiety, we feel it a lot, and some of us feel it chronically and, and drastically more than others, but all of us feel it. The Bible isn't saying, oh, you sinners, you should, you should go through life acting like this world is the one to come. Pretend, pretend like none of this bad stuff is happening. Now, the Bible is recognizing that we're going to be anxious about a lot of things, and so we take those things to God, and then verse 7 says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, why can the Bible say that? Well, if we just back up one verse earlier, the very last sentence makes this statement which supports what I've been saying tonight, what Jesus said. Verse, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 5 says, The Lord is at hand. What does it mean when somebody's at hand? It means they're near. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. The peace of God is 
that surpasses understanding. Why does it surpass understanding? Because it's a peace that can be ours when the conditions don't call for it. The world can't give that kind of peace. The only kind of peace the world can give you is a kind that either fixes the problem or numbs you to it. And what the Bible is telling us here is actually there is a peace to be, there is a peace that can be had in the midst of this difficult world. And so the Bible isn't suggesting that we just gloss over the world that is, that we enter each Christmas season acting like everything is totally fine, nothing to see here. It's not reality. You got real burdens and real fears. But those anxieties don't have to swallow you whole. And the reason those anxieties don't have to swallow you whole is because the Prince of Peace has come. The Prince of Peace is here with us through His Spirit and the ugliness of the world that is. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to end with a song that might be a strange choice for Christmas Eve, Eve, Eve service. It's a song by a man by the name of Rich Mullins, who if you're a little bit older, you've heard of. If you're a little bit younger, you're probably like, who's that? And it seems going to seem like an odd choice because it's not your traditional Christmas carol. Don't worry, we'll get to Silent Night. But it's not a traditional Christmas carol, and it's not something that you're hearing on the radio every day. Rich Mullins sung, passed away in 1997. If you know anything about Rich Mullins' music, he was not concerned with correct grammar. <laughs> he wrote more for the stable than the cathedral. He was a different kind of Christian singer in that he ran as far away as he could from the fame and the money. He made millions and gave it all away. He moved towards the end of his life to a Navajo reservation where he had plans to be a music teacher to the kids that were there. Rich didn't write songs that pretended that we're living in the world that's going to be. And a lot of the stuff we hear right now has about 30 seconds of bad, but it's always enveloped by, but everything worked out great. Well, our lives aren't like those two-minute songs. It's not 30 seconds of, of, a, of a difficult bridge, but it turned out okay. Rich wrote for the world that is, and, and he struggled. He had struggled with a lifelong difficult relationship with his father, who disapproved of everything that he did. He, was a, he suffered from chronic depression. He struggled with alcohol addiction at points in his life. But he knew that peace was the presence of Jesus, and he wrote a song called Hold Me, Jesus. And the chorus of that song is very simple. He's an Indiana boy from rural, rural Indiana. But the chorus of that song is, is really simple. It goes, Hold me, Jesus. I'm shaking like a leaf. 
You've been king of my glory. Will you be my prince of peace? Now, I was talking with my wife uh, a couple days ago when I said, hey, we're going to sing this song at the end. I didn't realize this, but she said, did you know uh, that that's a song that was going in my head as I went through my cancer treatments? This is the two-year anniversary of finding out for us that she had cancer. When life gets real for you like that, you can't pretend that everything's okay anymore. You have to admit it isn't. You need more than platitudes. And if you don't get more than that, you can get cynicism. But I bet almost every single one of us in here has had experience in our lives like being wheeled into an operating room where your hands are literally shaking. And you need to know if Jesus is with you. The Christian faith can't be platitudes. And it can't be just, well, someday it'll be fixed. I need Jesus now. And Jesus said, peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, but a peace that doesn't make sense to the world. Peace that surpasses understanding. A peace that keeps our hearts and our minds stable and sure and steadfast in Christ Jesus. If you don't know the song, you'll learn it. And we'll sing it together.